0: netcasts you love
1: from people you trust
0: this is twit bandwidth for security now is provided by aol radio at aol.com slash podcasting This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 93 for May 24th, 2007. Software Patents. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by Nerds on Site. Looking to grow your IT service business? Find out how Nerds on Site can help. Visit I Be a Nerd. Dot com. Time to take a look at security with our good friend Steve Gibson, the security guru from his uh, fortress, his lair, his his shielded manse in uh, beautiful Irvine, California. Hello, Steve. Hello, Leo. Great to be back with you. And
1: did we break 50 million? Oh, yes. In fact, so, I meant to tell you um, something happened about four weeks ago that another... Person in our news group pointed out because I chart there. there there's a chart um, on the twelfth p- original page of Shields Up, which shows how many unique IPs we encountered every day, and someone somewhere must have like written an article or something significant about oh. Shields Up because we've been about double the normal rate of uses wow. and it just blasted us through um through the uh, 50 million oh, mark and and I don't my my first thing was I was a little suspicious of well could that be some automated thing which is you know pumping the numbers up except that there is a weekly a, a standard weekly cycle of activity where you can see it it's a, it's a 7-day period as people are I don't I think they're busier on Mondays, and it's like in the beginning of the week we're busier and less so as the week goes on and so this it's like amplified that not only is it double the number but it's amplified the size of that sine wave huh. of weekly cycle, so it looks like these are really valid uses of shields up that. Something happened somewhere that it, where it got a lot of extra attention, and it seems to be sustaining. So couldn't have anything to do with the fact that you're appearing on the radio show talking about Shields Up. could it? does it go uh, up on Saturday or Sunday? Does it go up on the weekend? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I never really actually looked to figure out which was the peak days. Hmm. So I'm not sure. That's that would be anyway, really interesting. Congratulations on your 50 millions. Thank you. 50 Thanks. million systems
0: tested by Shields Up GRC dot com. Whenever I get a new router or firewall, that's what I try. It's
1: absolutely free. It's Marvy. Well, it's, it's quick and easy. I think that's probably one of the nicest things about it is it's entirely client-side. You don't have to load anything on your computer. You just go there and visit it with your browser and yeah. it just gives you a real quick thumbs up. Um, in fact, I, got a, I had an interesting dialogue with a, a writer, a tech writer for the, a paper in Houston who said that Apple's airport was not giving him stealth. It Mm. was it was showing closed ports Mm. and he had he had had a conversation with Apple and they said, yes, well, our are airports work that way and we don't think it's a problem. He talked to Bruce, Bruce Schneier and Bruce said, "Eh, you know, as long as you don't have things open, it probably doesn't matter. And and he said, so, you know, what do you think? And and I said, well, um, what's interesting is that. Apple's own firewall has a stealth option. So you, you know, you can tell Apple's firewall not to return any packets in response to something coming in. Don't don't declare that you're even there at that IP. I said so, it seems interesting to me that Apple would take the trouble to put that in their own OS firewall and I'm clearly seeing some value there but not offer the same sort of opportunity in their airport router so i said you know and i don't disagree with bruce i said but it's so simple for a router to be stealthful even though it's a technical breach of the rfc's i mean uh, oh it is uh, yeah a, oh, uh, the f- the formal specification says that a packet arriving at a closed port should return a reset to, in response to a sin to say I'm here but this port is closed. Huh. Thank you anyway. And the reason is a stealth port will receive four SYN packets because the 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 sending the 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 stack the TCP stack at the at the sending end will send a packet, a SYN packet and it will wait typically 2 seconds, then it will send another one and wait 4 seconds, send another one and wait eight seconds, send another one, and wait 16. Except that my math didn't work right because it <laughs> ends up taking... Oh, no, maybe if you add them all up, but no, not even then. But it ends up taking, like, 45 seconds to for a a, a, a TCP stack to say I'm unable to open hmm. a connection hmm. because it will try four or five times, so, uh, and, and it, it exponentially scales the, the, right. the period of time it's waiting each time. So the, the nice thing about sending a reset back is that you affirmatively say, I got your sin, I'm closed. And that, and so, so that, that so saves it does, time. it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It saves time. It, 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 it cleans up the net a little bit. You're not having these, these redundant sins. Go coming. Away. I'm not here.
0: But your point is that if you say that you're telling a hacker you are there, you're just not open for business.
1: Yes and so so the point i made to this this guy in in Houston was you know i'm not here to preach stealthfulness although it's so simple to do that i mean it's just it's so simple not to respond that if you if you just gave a switch where you asked a user would you rather that someone could see that you're there but closed for business or that or believe that you know you've unplugged your router and you're not there at all Almost any user I can imagine would say, I'd just as soon not be here at all. So, you know, it's simple. So it's like, okay, I I can't speak to why Apple's not doing it, but I sure do know that all the, you know, typical commercial non-Apple routers, uh, certainly allow you to do that. I mean, it's something that they promote. And it's funny because he said, do you think you're responsible for that? I uh, said, oh, uh-huh. as a matter of Maybe. fact, I'm pretty sure I am. <laughs> it might be, yeah. I don't think anybody the, even... The, you, you coined the term stealth, didn't you? I did coin the term stealth yeah. because, of course, the whole the whole thing, being a Trekkie myself, the whole, obviously, shields up comes from, oh, you know, raise our shields. Right. Uh, and And so when I was trying to think of, okay... We have open and closed ports. What would it be if a port didn't respond at all? And of course, so you know the the cloaking the cloaking uh, generator that the Romulans always had. Stealth. You know, you you were stealth. So on stealth. And, and in fact, there were some notes on Linksys and Netgear routers where they were talking about. I remember seeing some some firmware change notes where they said fixes a problem with router not being fully stealthed for Shields Up. Oh, wow. It's like, yeah, I guess that's... uh... That's it. (laughs) Somebody's paying attention. Well, because, you know, the end users complain to their router maker. It's like, hey, I'm not completely stealth on Shields Up. You know, got to fix that. And it's funny, too, because there have been firmware bugs where suddenly random ports stopped being stealthful and Shields Up caught it, and then the router manufacturers were told by their customers. So there's a nice sort of closed loop feedback system in place too, that where where Shields Up ends up getting used to find problems in routers, the customers then report, and the firmware gets updated. So it's a little nice ecosystem we have.
0: We're going to be uh, talking this week about software patents in just a little bit. We'll also get to our errata of the week, but first, let me just mention: as long as we're talking about Uh, ports and shields and so forth that the best way to secure yourself these days of course is with an astaro security gateway is it stealth you bet it's stealth in every way possible it's more than just a firewall though the astaro security gateway uh, comprises the mix of best of breed open source and commercial software covering just about every aspect of security including email security anti-spam anti-phishing dual virus protection for email, transparent encryption at the server side, so your clients, your customers, your, uh, your, your seats, whatever you call them in the IT business, don't have to worry about encryption or decryption. It's handled for them automatically. It does web filtering, content filtering, and antivirus filtering, anti-spyware, even controls instant messaging, peer-to-peer, and network protection too, like a firewall, remote access, and VPN. And uh, by the way, the new SSL VPN in version 7 is so slick. And intrusion protection, too. It is a really all in one amazing unit. And you can try it in your business absolutely free by calling Astaro. Call 877, the number four, A S T A R O, 877 for Astaro to schedule a free trial in your business right now. Or you can go online at www.astaro.com. And non commercial users will find a free version of the Astaro security gateway that they can uh, install on a beige box, any old computer they got lying around, and you even get. Uh, now, this is part of the new V7 base license, all subscriptions and a Starro update. So you get all of that. We used to cost 79 euros absolutely free. A-S-T-A-R-O dot com. great company, great security guys, and we're proud to say a sponsor of uh, security now for over a year now. So let's, uh, should we uh, handle some reta?
1: We got a couple. Well, actually, just one little thing, and I had a. We never f- a fun, make mistakes, of course. But... I had a I had a fun little anecdote. Uh, well, again, uh, a, a little bit of spin. Right. In fact, even this errata is spin. Right. You may remember that a couple weeks ago, I I read a note from uh, a neat twelve-year-old computer guy, Justin Gerard, who told us how yes, um, his computer went wonky, and he called someone from the Geek Squad. Which is are are the Best Buy people who came out and ran Spinrite on his on his machine in order to fix it, and that was really cool. Except I made unfortunately the observation that, well, the correct observation that they don't have any permission to run Spinrite. There, we we do have an enterprise class license that that (laughs) they could get. Um, you know, and like our 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 nerds on site guys have an agreement with me that allows them to use SpinRight formally and officially in all their customers' computers. These guys don't. So I wanted to give credit to the Geek Squad for immediately following up. Oh, good. When when, when the broadcast went out, we the, the the someone in the Geek Squad administration immediately contacted our office and said we don't have any record of fixing a Justin Girard's PC right. could you find out um, any could you get any any other additional information yeah, if, yeah. exactly and yeah. they then and, and the, this person suggested since he's 12 years old it's probably in his parents name could you let us know um, you know who this is so we can track it down because we certainly don't want any of our geeks using their own software in an unlicensed way as part of their, you know, you know, in, in, in their business dealings with us. So I contacted Justin, and it turns out that, th- that his note was a few months before. He couldn't find a receipt. He didn't know who it was, didn't have any other information, blah, blah, blah. And And we both sort of expressed we didn't really, either of us, want to get this particular geek in trouble for, first of all, you know, saving Justin's computer, which right. he did. But you know, at the same point, I wanted to raise the issue that that this was not something. I mean, this goes a little. This stretches my, you know, touchy feely feeling yeah, about no, it. You don't
0: oh, want to give this away. No, this is
1: your job. This yeah, is, exactly. It relevant. pay. Yeah. It really does pay the bills yeah, here. Yeah, so.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, anyway, so I did. I did want to share. Uh, I wanted to make sure we closed that issue. to you know that the geeks they followed was, up on it, which is good. They followed up immediately and were as responsible as I could ask them to be. So I really did appreciate. Well, that. there's one more thing they could have done: is buy a site license. But okay, but we, <laughs> we won't believe that, that hasn't happened yet. But uh, that would be great. They should. Uh, uh, I think they should. Obviously, Spinrite it works, works. And, and in fact, uh, I got a note from a Dennis Constant, who I guess must. Be somewhere around me in Southern California, because he says, Steve, I recently flew from Southern California to Chicago to spend a week with my closest friend who was recovering from heart surgery. Hmm. He was well enough to have me drive him to his office. I guess he was well enough. Uh, And while there, I learned that his old PC had problems. Most of the time when he turned it on, it would not boot but produced a horrible click-click sound, which indicated that the hard drive was possibly dying. Uh, that's a good indication, yeah. Mm-hmm. He says, I had brought my laptop on the trip and had my trusty CD of Spinrite, and I ran Spinrite on his PC using Level 2. After Now, Level 2 is a read-only uh, version, uh, uh, is like a faster read-only pass, which is, is used just sort of for for seeing if there's any glaring problems on the drive. Anyway, so he says, After a couple of hours, when the process was finished, I noticed that the PC seemed a little better, but still wouldn't boot most of the time. Before I left the office, I started Spinrite again, this time using Level 5. It ran all night. The next day, I left for Chicago. When I called my friend a few days later and asked about the PC, he said it worked perfectly. Oh, Yay almost like new he had no trouble getting the drive to boot and the computer was faster than ever once again spinright performed miracles Woo-hoo. thanks and regards dennis constant ba, da, da, so. <laughs> that's good that's good news yeah so gross. that that's a nice story and uh keep those stories coming i i love to get them we do we do
0: so uh that is good news a happy ending for the uh the geek squad um
1: Shall we launch into patents? Yeah. Um, every so often, something comes up or happens that has nothing to do with security, which is obviously the focus of wh- where we spend most of our time talking these last 93 episodes. But it's something that is, I, I think, really interesting or really important or something that, you know, bears on us, Leo. And, and so I, I take the opportunity infrequently but but when i think it's important to sort of say wait a minute we'll get back to security issues next week but something bears discussing that that i think is important well and, and you have some particular uh, interest and expertise in this because you have patents well um I never bothered to oh, follow through okay. because I because they they weren't things I was doing for myself they were things I was doing as a consultant and and while pursuing the process which is very lengthy things changed such that it didn't make it didn't make sense to pursue them but but I have had many involvements with patents i've also served as an expert witness testifying in a number of trials mm. that involved patents and and software patents is something i've been very it's something i have very if i may say richard stallman like Feelings about, <laughs> oh, um, okay, not 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 as extreme okay. as Stallman. Nobody, no, he's is. very
0: anti-software
1: patent. He thinks they're the spawn of the spawn of Satan. You know, I mean. Well, and and my problem is it, it's this. It's the test of non-obviousness. The any patent. Uh, I, I guess we ought to step back a little bit because in in so many online postings, I see confusion between patent. Copyright and trademark. There there's you know, those are sort of like the three pillars of intellectual property. Um a trademark, obviously, is 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 a phrase or a name for something which which a company wants protection on so that nobody else can Mm -hmm. can use that in a way that would confuse a consumer. We have a
0: trademark on Twit, for instance, so that not and that doesn't mean
1: you couldn't have a ice cream
0: cone named Twit. (laughs) <laughs> but you couldn't have a podcast named to it.
1: Yes, and in fact, I had an interesting event that uh not long ago, I I have mentioned here that I I trademarked the phrase it's my computer sort of as a battle cry. It's like, you know, hands off, it's my computer. Hmm. And we were challenged a few months ago by unfortunately Network Solutions oh. uh, who has the who said our trademark, my computer, is is too similar to yours, mm. and we have um, pre-existing usage of that. Well, I've got a very good patent firm. They're the ones, in fact, that Apple uses uh, and Ashton Tate used, wow. and wow. and you know, it's a good LA firm, and they also have offices up in in Silicon Valley. And so, um, it turns out that I mean, we did everything right. I mean, I spent the money. We applied for a trademark on "It's My Computer." Um, I showed use of it. Um, we even filed for challenge, which which is something where where in a in a in a national registry we say we're applying for the trademark. "It's My Computer." Does anyone have any problem with that? And so all the intellectual property firms are supposed to be checking that. And saying, wait a minute, um, we have a client, Network Solutions, that has the that has some you know intellectual property in the trademark. My computer, you guys are in the same industry. This is confusingly similar. We object to that trademark. Well, that didn't happen. No one raised an objection. We got the trademark assigned, and I have a trademark. Well, then along marches, they, you know, the the law firm representing Network Solutions saying. Um, you can't have that. It's, you know, too confusingly similar. And in fact, they hadn't even applied for a trademark because we did a trademark search to oh. make sure there was nothing. But they don't have to, right? I mean, they can say you can't. That
0: is true. Yeah. They uh, the, no. The bottom line is. So if somebody's been they... calling their thing, their podcast twit and without trademarking it for years, they could contest my trademark.
1: Yes, because they, because prior use is the ultimate winner right. in this kind of dispute. Right. So, so essentially we were going to lose. So I said, well, shoot, <laughs> I really like Aww. that trademark and I like my little battle cry. And so my attorney said, well, why don't we tell them that they can have, you know, that we will stop using it and relinquish it for $5,000. And I said, oh, I like that. That sounds good. So, you know, my attorney sent a note to their attorney, their attorney sent a note back saying, how about 2500 and so my attorney said, Why do we say four? I said, No, let's say five. They're network solutions. They can tell them it. <laughs> Exactly. Tell them we'll settle for five and we'll reconsider our options if that's not okay with them. So we got a check for $5,000. Uh, that's fair. And, and I gave up my trademark. in Yeah. yeah which, which, which I actually was going to, you know, if they wanted to fight me, I was going to spend way more money than that and lose anyway. But so, I presume
0: you have Spin Right trademarked. Absolutely, yeah. and and there's no um, contesting that. And frankly, it wouldn't be worth it'd be worth a lot more than five grand. They, I mean, nobody's going to take that name,
1: right? Well, and that's, I've got I've got twenty years of yeah. prior use. So, yeah. and, and frankly, um, nobody seems to want Twit. So, I think we're safe on that. <laughs> well, and it's it's funny too because I I did hear uh, Kevin talking about Dig and how he's had he has to pursue them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he's you you. The idea is you if someone is infringing a trademark, you need. To you have to stand up for your rights, yep. or 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 someone can come or along. It. Yep, yep they're able to say that. So so that's trademark. So copyright is is what's probably people are most familiar with. Is a is a essentially something saying here's a book and I'm copywriting it. You cannot make a a you know a a substantial copy of this piece of work. And so, of course, copyright is one of the protections that all software seeks and obtains, just to protect uh, the uh, essentially someone from duplicating or substantially duplicating the entire thing. So, and Patton, you don't have to apply for a copyright; you get it automatically. You get a copyright
0: just by creating a work. That's cr- true. That, that's <laughs> absolutely true. There, yeah. in fact, you can apply, you- but there's no real. I don't think it's really an advantage,
1: right? And and essentially, the only thing you need to do is you need to state on the work that you are claiming copyrights right. in the work, and so you just say copyright and then a little circle C and then the year that that you're making that claim, and it sort of stamps it as look, I'm I'm asserting my ownership in this work, my my copyright, and that's all you need to do. So a, a patent, however, is Completely different. A, a, a patent is is the the claim is that there's something that has been invented, something that that is well. In fact, there are three there are three tests for an invention. It needs to be novel, it needs to be uh, non obvious, and it needs to be useful. So. The, the, so the patent office, when they're when they're looking at these things, they're saying, okay, you know, is this new? Is this something that has not been done before? Is it? Would it not be obvious to someone trained in the art? Is the way the actual language reads, meaning that you know, so for example, in the case of software, some software guy says, "Oh, look what I invented," and the question would be, would another software person think that that was amazing? Or would they go? eh? You can't invent
0: a bubble sort. It's been around for years. That's not obvious,
1: or it is obvious. Exactly. One and, plus one and, equals two. That's obvious. And and just I guess to to limit frivolous patents, they also the patent office also says and it has to be useful. So you know I guess I, I can't imagine nothing occurs to me on the top of my head that would be like why anyone would bother patenting something useless especially these days right. when it is so expensive to, to patent anything but but still they they certainly want you know those are the traditionally the tests that are applied so m- my own problem with software patents has been that it's seen that when i've seen software patents they've seemed obvious to me i mean I, i'm obviously i mean i'm i'm into software i love software i spend a lot of time in that domain I'm I'm no super software genius, so I'm not saying that you know something that's obvious to me would be non-obvious to other people. I think in general, most of what I see people saying they invented, I mean,
0: often seems obvious. Now, well, a good example t- is uh, Jeff Bezos and Amazon's. Well, this is one of the early software oh, patents. Oh yes, the one-click patent, very right. controversial. They they claim that. Uh, they own the rights to the idea that if you see something and you click one button to buy it and buys it automatically that's theirs that's ours we own it we bought it we invented it
1: yeah and i and i think that fails the non the, the non obvious test right um now I, I you know certainly something like crypto algorithms it's like good have that non-obvious. you, in, you non-obvious. invented that non-obvious. baby yeah. i look at those diagrams of s boxes and rotations and scrambling right. things it's like right. whoa um somebody did some serious work but what's interesting is that even that historically would not have been patentable although we now know I RSA has patents and other people have patents on crypto but in the past you couldn't patent that true um because the, idea, the it's software or no because the original thinking about software was that software is math that software algorithms are just mathematics and you cannot invent math you can discover math but that's not an invention and so the idea was that math it, you cannot patent math because it it exists i mean it's like it's inherent in reality is 1 plus 1 uh but it's oh yeah is 2 um so so the idea being that the the original feeling in the patent office was that no software could be patented because that was it was tantamount to patenting math because that's what software was so for me many years ago probably 20 years ago um I did some consulting and um was inventing things and the the people that I were that I was doing this work for wanted to uh, to acquire patents. Now I've never sought any myself. I mean, arguably there are things in SpinRight that I invented. I mean, there's some very cool things in SpinRight, but I mean, it's like practicing what you preach. I mean, I don't really see the value in that. Um, I, I mean, I understand. Politically, what what the value is, but anyway. So, on other people's behalf, I said, "Fine, I'll work with your patent attorney if you want to protect this thing that you say I've invented." Well, the the patent attorney said, "Okay, here's our problem: uh, the patent office won't give us a patent on software." Now, remember, this is two decades ago. He said, "So this is how we get around that." He said, "Give me." A description of what you've done in hardware, because hardware we can patent, and even though hardware is not what he called the preferred embodiment of this patent of this invention it's not the preferred embodiment of the uh, embodiment of the invention, software is we're going to get the patent on the hardware embodiment and say that you know this is an example of the invention implemented in hardware and it may not be the preferred embodiment of the invention so that that protects us from anyone doing the same thing in software so essentially you've got a software patent and so you know i remember very well that you know those were my instructions then well the world has moved from that position to incrementally over time to the point today actually i think things are re- relatively out of control i mean i'm sure you've seen the article you know, the, the little news blurbs about people discovering genes you know in the human genome or chromosomes and patenting them it's like wait a minute this is in my blood how could you patent something that you know we all have this and yet just seems, and that they
0: have a patent
1: i mean they've I'll, been able to do it i know i know it is happening now so weird um when okay so so that's sort of where things have th- the way things have evolved now what companies began doing as patents software patents became practical and, i mean possible to get is they started amassing software patent portfolios IBM was the leader in this um, just because you know they they'd always been patenting all their hardware gizmos and widgets and things, and so they were always i 'm sure pushing on the patent and trademark office the the p t o to 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 you know change the boundaries between software and hardware and and no doubt they had attorneys who were giving them the same sort of advice I was given about how to get a software patent by showing an embodiment in hardware. And that, that would also protect you from software that did the same thing. So, so over time, the Patent and Trademark Office changed their approach. IBM was, you know, acquiring tons of patents. Um, other companies, of course, were doing the same thing. Sun and, and you know vir- virtually any computer company today has lots of patents. And of course, we remember the famous original Apple Microsoft lawsuit years ago. Where they were fighting each other over, you know, thing, you know, it was, it wasn't clear whether they were, I guess, they were design patents. They, they, they were saying, you know, this is our design of a desktop, and you know, no one can infringe on that. And so Microsoft and Apple ended up essentially uh, smoking a peace pipe by doing a what's called a cross licensing deal, where they they would each agree to cross license the other's patents. And not bring any litigation against each other, and so what's happened is as software patents became popular, computer companies turned you know spent some chunk of their money to to get to build a patent portfolio, not necessarily because they intended to sue anyone. Who infringed their patent? Although that does happen, of course. We just we we saw the remember the case a few months ago with Rim, the BlackBerry company, um, and I think it was NTP yeah. was, was the company yeah. that, that was yeah. alleging suit and won. Well, actually, they but some of their they, patents got invalidated. It's very confusing. I thought I thought the way it turned out <laughs> was Rimland? that they that they settled. Rim paid them a ton of money, right. Even though it was believed that many of the patents would have been invalidated right. if they were challenged right. and 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 that, and that this is a perfect segue to talk about one of the biggest problems we have is that the, that the many people now agree that the patented trademark office is issuing patents that they that they should not issue the problem is that it's you know patent attorneys get involved in this process and of course patent attorneys think that patents are good and more patents are better. So there's just lots of patents being issued. The problem is you end up with with arguably bogus patents which give a company the essentially a government sponsored right to sue someone else who they feel is infringing on their patent. And so and this is—I've been a, a expert witness in a number of law, of lawsuits where you know my opinion as someone in the industry and an and 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 someone with some engineering background has been called upon to say you know what do I think about this and you know the the, the problem is I see th- I've seen many things that should never have been pa- ne- should have never had a patent granted and now a company is. You know, all this money is flowing to the attorneys who roll up their sleeves and fight this. Whereas, if the Patent and Trademark Office had just said, "No, this is obvious," then we would have never had this problem. Right. So, so you know, and obviously, here here's Rim that was that that was that was ended up having to pay a substantial amount of money, an amazing amount of money, to settle this infringement claim on patents that probably would not have been valid, but it would have cost them more money to, to get them invalidated and to fight against that than it did to, just to settle. So, I mean, this is, this is a problem in the industry. So, so generally, companies get these patents because they want to build a portfolio in order to smoke these peace pipes with other companies. Basically, they want to do cross-licensing deals. And so that's sort of been the way things have been going now for many years. Microsoft was a little slow to get going on the patent thing, probably because once, uh, <laughs> I really want to say, probably because once they had more ethics than they do oh, today. But yeah. Ow! That's probably not snap, fair. Burn! <laughs> uh, but, for example, in 2002, Microsoft applied for 1,411 patents. Okay. And by 2004, uh, they had applied for (laughs) 3,780 patents. Now, I I looked at one out of curiosity that was granted to them last week on May 17th, I think it was. Um, A patent just issued to Microsoft. And the patent is on how to make e-ink, electronic ink, Flow more smoothly on a tablet PC, and I thought, okay, that's interesting. I wonder what they've done. Uh, I read the patent, and this is—it's not easy to read these things. I yeah. mean, it, I mean, these make end-user license agreements seem easy. They're often very convoluted. Oh my yeah. God, Leo! Yeah. Talk about it's, non-obvious. Well, and and the the other thing that happens is that. First of all, companies that get into the patent, the software patent game, end up telling their programmers, the the software guys, "Let us know of anything you do that's clever." I mean, it's it, like it becomes a a new extension of the programmer's job to inform legal... This is what of cracks any- me up. <laughs> yes, of anything that they invent. Right. And in fact, it's interesting, because I was talking to our friend Mark Thompson at Analog X about this a couple of days ago, because I'm pretty worked up about this whole issue. And and he made a very good point, because I was telling him about this particular patent that I read about the e-ink. Um, and he said, you know, what normally happens, or what hopefully probably happens, is the programmers actually come up with something novel. Mm-hmm. But one of the other goals of a patent attorney is to get the broadest patent possible. That is you right. start out right. with inventing something very specific, but so and 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 there and, and, and in the specificity you could argue you might have something novel. You know, a, a programmer in all good conscience really thinks he came up with something amazing and unique but then the patent attorney gets a hold of it and and stretches this thing until you know because he wants the biggest umbrella he can make out of this in order to in order to get as much breadth of a patent as possible because a broader patent is better and in fact that's one of the main arguments the the patent and trademark office has is and I've had this experience with with the patents that I have pursued is you'll again I'll I'll express it like the way i really mean it then my patent attorney (laughs) just makes it so that it could be any color and it could be chrome and black and blue and white and it could and it even does apply to banana splits (laughs) and it's like and then i get it back i go well Okay, it is, oh, this is good, Steve. We Broad is good. We want the broadest patent possible. So then it gets submitted to the Patent Trademark Office. They say, okay, this is overly broad. This covers, you know, too much. You need to narrow it. And so there's this back and forth negotiation until one side or the other blinks, and then you end up with something that, that results. Well, so I read Microsoft's patent, and I... I I wanted there to be something amazing in this. It's like, okay, what is it? What's the secret for making e-ink smooth, smooth flow smoothly? It turns out that Microsoft's patent involves priority queues, where you put the e-ink events in a separate queue that the operating system treats with higher priority than the all non-e-ink events, that way the operating system will make sure to refresh the screen to show the e-ink before it does other things that it has to do, like worry about updating the time of day and and dragging windows around or whatever. And it's like, okay. And so then I read it again Uh, trying to find uh, what I had missed. uh, Because
0: that seems obvious to you.
1: Leo, not only is it obvious, it's obvious to everybody. Right. I mean, and it's it uh, priority queues is the is the one of the fundamental architectural components of of any operating system. I'm sure it predates when. I'm sure IBM had them on on computers with tubes.
0: Any multitasking uh, uh, operating system would have to do it.
1: And and this is not. I mean, I looked for something. That was special, something different. It, that's all it is. And then I, I got a little perversely curious, and so I looked at a few others. There was another one where they were talking about a counter and how a counter goes negative, and then it, when it's positive, it means one thing, and then the mode changes. And I realized this was so that you could you could use a stroke on the tablet to capitalize the next letter, and the counter would be incremented. And then you'd you'd do the letter, and then it would decrement it and put you back into lowercase. It's like, oh my God, wow. they're getting patents on this stuff. Wow. I mean, just I mean, just bogus patents. And and again, maybe once upon a time when this patent was was originally created, or that that is this idea happened, some programmer really did have something novel. But what ends up getting issued. Is just a is a is a nightmare, and I, I mean I think it's a problem because a patent this week just causes, mm. as we've said before, just causes
0: real problems. Well, it's just asking for litigation, and and it's inevitably going to go back to the courts. Well, but hasn't so, the Supreme Court weakened this a little bit just recently?
1: Yes, actually, there was a fantastic decision. Um, actually, people uh, patent watchers have been noticing that the Supreme Court has recently been taking up some cases mm-hmm. that, uh, in general about patents that they have not dealt with before. Microsoft won at, at, at a, um, an issue uh, at, the, at the Supreme Court level against AT&T that was trying to claim that Microsoft's admitted infringement of AT&T's voice technology. Uh, Microsoft acknowledged that they were inf- infringing in the U.S. AT&T was saying, and everywhere else. And internationally, hmm. and so AT and T was saying that the essentially trying to trying to enforce United States patents on a global scale in the patent and trade. I mean, then the Supreme Court said, no, 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 no. It's U.S. patent system. You know, this is you know your rights. AT and T do not extend beyond the United States. But the other the the, the other really good decision was um, was. Uh, it was a bizarre case. Um, there were there was there was a company that was trying basically to patent the combination of two previously patented things. They were trying. It was it dealt with an adjustable gas pedal and an electronic throttle, and they put them together and said, "Look, this is our invention." <laughs> it's and, a spork. It's like, <laughs> it's, wait a minute. the The electronic throttle has been invented and patented uh the adjustable gas pedal was patented a long time ago you can't just put those together and call that an invention but but it turns out that they the um originally the patent office said no it was appealed and the uh, the, the 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 appellate court overturned the patent office decision and said yes oh, that's boy. an invention oh, boy. now the problem is the appellate court are Patent attorneys, who of course think more patents, is more, more 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 patents are more better. So then, so it went to the Supreme Court that said no, uh, and in fact, um, the, the 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 decision was written by Justice Anthony Kennedy, who said granting patent protection to um, to uh, to advances that would occur in the ordinary course without real innovation retards progress. And and so he's making the point that essentially we're being, in general, too patent happy in this country, and that's creating a problem. He also said that the results of ordinary innovation are not subject to exclusive rights under the patent laws. Were it otherwise, patents might stifle rather than promote the progress of of the progress of useful arts. And that's really the whole point of the uh, and the
0: balance of patent law. Is to is to promote these arts without stifling creativity and innovation from others.
1: Yes. Now, what happened um, about ten days ago that made this an issue and and mean for, for many people? There's been a ton written about this in the last ten days on the net. Is that um, they uh, the senior editor for legal affairs of Fortune magazine, a writer named Roger Parloff. Did a feature story for the May issue of, for I guess it's mid-May. I don't remember. I actually, I got a copy of it because I wanted to make sure that there was nothing additional in the paper copy that was not online, uh, and there isn't. Um, he did a he did a feature story titled "Microsoft Takes on the Free World," and essentially what happened was two two of Microsoft's guys, um, uh, Brad Smith. Who's Microsoft chief counsel right. and uh, Horatio Gutierrez, who's Microsoft's vice president of intellectual property and licensing? They sat down with with this guy at Fortune Magazine and said and to talk about patents and the fact that they feel that that f- open source software, free and open source software, or FOSS as it's now called, that's the acronym that's being used, is infringing on a ton of Microsoft patents. And in fact, for the first, now Microsoft has made noises like this before, but they've just said, you know, free software is infringing on our patents. Grumble, grumble. Okay, this time they said uh, the free and open source software is infringing 235 of our patents. And so they put a number to it. They said that the Linux kernel violates 42 of their patents, that the user interface and design elements infringe an additional 65, that OpenOffice infringes 45 of their patents, and that uh, email and other open source programs infringe an, an additional 83. So Microsoft has clearly sat down with, you know, I mean, taking the, the time to go through their their own patent portfolio, which is no small job, because, you know, they've they've been so patent happy, and they've been scrutinizing free software, the whole, you know, open source software movement, and specifically delineating which of their patents are being infringed by open source software. So... Okay, so we have a couple problems. First of all, remember, Leo, I'm sure it was either you and I talked about it here or you talked about it with your crew on Twit back in November. I remember there was discussion, I'm sure you and I talked about it, about this weird Novell-Microsoft deal. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, we talked about it a lot on all the podcasts.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, we couldn't figure out what it was. Right. It was like, okay, what's
0: my... Novell agreed to indemnify its users against lawsuits from Microsoft and and ended up giving Microsoft a lot of money for that indemnification.
1: Well, and and in fact, although Microsoft gave Novell more, because what it was... Yeah, and and it seemed really strange. Why is Microsoft paying Novell more than Novell's paying Microsoft? Um, The reason was that this was a... It was, like like we talked before, it was a cross-licensing deal where Microsoft wanted um, access to Novell's patents, meaning that they wanted to know that Novell's networking patents were never going to be a problem for for Microsoft, and Novell wanted the same thing for from Microsoft. So they were both they were cross licensing their patents and agreeing, okay, we're never going to sue each other on these on on this basis. And of course, this inherently extends to each company's customers, because the way patent law works is, is I'm violating somebody's patent, even if I bought this, if I bought the software legally or am using the software legally, if in that software somewhere is somebody's intellectual property protected by a patent, I, the user because my software is doing that patented thing, I'm individually that viol- violating that patent. So you're liable, and you may not know anything about it. Right. Well, and in fact, I've got to say that that this, this Horatio Gutierrez, it sounds like maybe he's been reading his own press releases a little bit too much. <laughs> he, um, he said something that that just really made my blood boil he was quoted saying this is not okay and and he's the microsoft guy i, I right. should remind our listeners right. who who's in charge of their intellectual property and licensing he says this is not a case of some accidental unknowing infringement there is an overwhelming number of patents being infringed well, of course, he sort of should have said there are an overwhelming number, but he said, you know. So he's saying the fact that it's 235 means that it's intentional. It's like what a crock! I mean, first well, of worse all, worse than
0: that, they're not even going to say which patents are in violation. You're supposed well, to find out. You're, you're supposed to figure it out and come to them.
1: Well, okay, <laughs> now, say, now, okay, oh, that oh. makes a couple. That makes a couple really good points. First of all, yes, you're right. They are. Everyone has been saying, okay, which. Two hundred and thirty-five. Yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 you know, prove it. If you, I'm willing to believe it, if you could
0: say, show me the patents, and then we can judge whether it's an obvious bad patent or whether it's a good patent. But they won't oh, even
1: say. Because let me tell you, Leo, if one of those is the e-ink smooth flowing patents, <laughs> right. I can tell you right off the bat they got to drop that well, number well, to two thirty-four. I think it's
0: likely. I mean, I think it's likely that there'll be things like, you know, a stack, you know, things that, of course, all software uses, but the, and the patent shouldn't have been awarded, but it was awarded. And so well, and, and it, but and they so, won't
1: even say. That's correct. They Microsoft is refusing to na- to na- to name any of the 235 patents that they're now claiming are infringing. And the point was they were saying in 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 during this Fortune magazine article they were quoted as saying, "We think people need to start paying for the use of our intellectual property." I mean that's the bottom line they're saying just accept he, the fact that there's violations and you should just give us money well so the, so the, of course here's the problem I mean look at me facing network solutions saying okay well, frankly Steve if they're if they've patented some pat some obvious things maybe you're violating their patents oh the, well the, the the problem is patents have been granted now with with such abandon for the last decade, that there's no way anyone, first of all, can know if they're violating someone else's patents. I mean, no one can know. I I mean, I can't sit there and and read all of Microsoft patents, all of all of Lin- well, all of Sun's patents, all of IBM's patents, and you know tiptoe through the tulips, and somehow you know. I mean, first of all, I don't even think I could write code right. that would not be in violation of these bogus patents. The other issue that Linus Torvalds brought up, brought up is he said, "Well, it's going to. Nobody
0: in the open source community is going to look for these patents because looking for and the knowledge
1: of them exposes you." Well, what happens is, yes, if if you if in court. It can be shown that you knowingly violated a patent, then you're subjected to triple damages. So you're not going to look. You don't no, want to know. Exactly. And if you, if you accept, as I think everybody
0: in the open source community does, that software patents are bad, have gone far too far, and it's very risky because you may well have violated a patent because of this broken system, you're not going to look. It's too risky. So wait a yeah. minute, now we're going to stand off cuz
1: Microsoft's not going to tell me and I'm not going to look. <laughs> what are we what's supposed to happen now? Well, and so the 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 okay, so so the problem is here's Microsoft obviously the thousand pound elephant in the room who's just sort of who clearly said to Novell, um okay, look, uh you're the number 2 distributor of Linux. Uh obviously Red Hat is number 1. Uh and it's interesting cuz Red Hat's guys have had conversations with microsoft and they've never been able to strike a deal probably because the red hat guys frankly are a little more savvy about this you have to imagine that novell is wondering you know whether they did the right thing when when they did this agreement in november but but so you know here's microsoft threatening to throw their substantial weight around and and basically intimidating other companies into doing these sorts of deals into doing cross licensing and and ultimately paying money for something that is that probably is entirely bogus <laughs> I mean it it is it is a problem now the good news is i think microsoft probably waited too long i think that that i mean the reason this is coming up at all is cuz microsoft I assume is on some level unhappy that someone can use Linux and open office and have a very useful system that, that Microsoft believes, and, I'm, and I sincerely believe they believe, infringes their intellectual property, whether or not it actually does, and that this person doesn't pay Microsoft any tax. Basically, Microsoft wants to tax... Free and open source software. Oh, they want to do more than tax. They want to put it out of business.
0: Well, they'd like it it to die and go away with her up. I mean, I don't even... That's one of the reasons I think they're not saying what these patents are. They they want to put them out of business.
1: Well, okay. It's very clear that if they enumerated these patents, the... the free and open source software community would have a field day uh, exactly. at attacking them. I mean, and, and that's just it. You end up with a distributed attack against Microsoft. Good point. Good <laughs> a, point. A, a, legal a distributed a, legal a, attack. Yeah. A, 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 a tie distributed... up for years. Exactly. Because, you know, every patent would get tackled. People would be, would be finding prior art because prior art is one thing that immediately invalidates a patent. If you can demonstrate that that somewhere someone did something prior to your invention it's called prior art and eh, sorry no more patent um so there'd be that and you know um linus would be happy to code the kernel around whatever microsoft's 42 claimed patents are that infringe, that they they say the kernel infringes i mean so the fact well if it's that, priority cues it may not be able to code around it but well but neither neither is that a valid patent right, right, so right. so 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 here's what's so frustrating too is that the fact that microsoft won't name the patents prevents Anyone from curing the problem that Microsoft is complaining right. about, it's just so they really don't want the problem cured. No. They That's want open not,
0: source software to go away. Is what
1: well, they're I, or yes, in fact, I'm sort of worried because one of the side effects of the deal they did with Novell is that the the idea is that um, is that anyone who gets Linux from Novell ha- is protected. Because Microsoft and Novell did this cross-licensing deal. So you could see that this could tend to bias people towards Novell, concentrating, concentrating Novell as a source. Which is, and, I'm
0: sure, Novell's interest in making the deal in the first place.
1: Probably was, but it seems to me that's dangerous. It's well, a dangerous. number of
0: people who uh, g- good quality people who worked for Novell quit over this.
1: Yes, uh, in fact, one of the main Linux uh, kernel guys did. The, yeah. I mean, he just he just resigned immediately. He when, saw what when he, Novell, he saw what Novell was
0: trying to do, essentially.
1: Yeah, and and I I can't really articulate why this feels dangerous to me, but it 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 the idea is, I guess, as long as Linux is spread out as widely as it is, distributed as widely as it is, there's so many different uh, ways that that substantial companies and can get distributions the the broader it is the less power microsoft has if microsoft can do something to focus to focus the distribution of linux through a fewer number of channels to me that seems unsafe for the future of open source software i think mm-hmm. it really needs to be be kept widespread so you know i mean and Microsoft does think strategically. We, we've seen many examples of that through the ages. So um, anyway, it, it seems really clear to me that, that what they're doing is not fair because they're not saying we really want the problem solved. They're really saying we've created this problem. The, the U.S. government is backing us with, with the Patent and Trademark Office. And we're so big you can never afford, I mean, even the U.S. government couldn't prevail against Microsoft in the antitrust suit. So they're saying, we're so big, you can't even think about fighting us and challenging us, so believe me, you don't want us coming after you. Yeah, yeah. But the reason I think they waited too long is they they waited this long because it took this long for the free and open source software movement to really achieve the critical mass it has today I mean you know there are you know they talk about many of their enterprise Microsoft's own enterprise customers who have um hybrid server rooms where they've got Linux servers and Windows servers that need to co-operate and 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 live and live and work together and so that you know that that's sort of the the new model well, you know Microsoft cannot be happy that their customers are using Linux servers for some chunk of their infrastructure. Now, it also gets complicated
0: because, and we've talked a little bit about this on Twitter, uh, because of the GPL, the new version 3 of the GPL, uh, which makes this voucher program that Microsoft's done with Novell backfire on Microsoft a little bit.
1: Well, yes, it's interesting. The um, version 2 of the GPL... um, uh allowed Microsoft to do this deal but what what Novell did was as part of this deal in November was Novell gave Microsoft some number of coupons for a you know, basically for a free version of their Linux enterprise server Microsoft then give or sells these coupons or or makes them available to their customers and their their customers are able to redeem them for, for Novell's Linux server software. Well, it turns out that version 3 of the GPL that's supposed to come into effect either in June or July, in, in in a month or two, it closes a loophole that Microsoft was was essentially taking advantage of that exists in version 2 of the GPL, which is what software is now being covered by, such that if microsoft if any microsoft customer uses one of those coupons to and, and redeems the coupon for a novel copy of linux under version 3 of the gpl that makes microsoft a distributor of free and open source software <laughs> and as a di- <laughs> yes and as a distributor part of the GPL requires that all patents be licensed for free. They, that is, Oops. either they there are either no patents at all or they are completely free patents. And so that forces Microsoft to essentially, implicitly turn their entire patent base into royalty-free licensed patents so that no user then of of any version of Linux could be sued by Microsoft for eternity.
0: I'll put Eben Moglin against Brad Smith any day, even as the uh, lawyer who wrote uh, the GPL3, and I think he's a very, very smart guy, and clearly this was a very smart move.
1: Well, it looks like, um, essentially, I think Microsoft had waited until now because... They're really beginning to see open source software getting traction. I mean, it's it's really getting, it's gaining traction. The bad news is they waited so long that many heavyweight companies like IBM and HP and Sony and Sun, you know, there are many major companies, basically anyone that's not Microsoft that are saying okay this is our alternative right. to microsoft right. so they're throwing their substantial clout behind free and open source software and they're going to defend it let alone all the developers around so so microsoft can't tell the world what patents it thinks it's claiming are being infringed because they know their case is weak and and again it's very it's doubtless possible to engineer around the patents and cure the infringement even if the patent were found to be valid and Microsoft doesn't want that they don't want the problem solved they 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 want this problem in order to use it as leverage yeah it's it's wrong well uh you know it's
0: going to be interesting to watch i have a feeling this is actually going to just kind of fade away because um there's there's no way Microsoft can really pursue this uh without opening themselves. It's mutually assured destruction is really what it is. And uh I have a feeling this is just a
1: dumb move on them. One more dumb move for Microsoft and Yeah, I, I think in retrospect, um Microsoft probably regrets that they had this discussion um uh yeah. with Roger Oops. Parloff and Fortune yeah. magazine. They they regret what has happened and uh, and in fact, I think it, that they, in tipping their hand, they have put the whole open source software community on notice now. Yeah. For example, yeah. you've really got to wonder whether any other major company will, will follow in Novell's footsteps after this article and after so much attention has been given to this. And basically, I think Microsoft's bluff can now be called by anyone who wants to call it. Right.
0: Very interesting.
1: Now, I'm sure we will uh, see a
0: uh, this week in law on this with actual lawyers and so forth, and we should remind everybody that Steve and I aren't lawyers. So, uh, but, but Steve obviously has a lot of experience in this field, and I, I have to agree with you in your analysis of it. I'll be very interested to see what Denise Howell and her crew uh, come up with. Um, that's why we have this week in law.
1: Well, and, and don't forget, Leo, if Microsoft actually sued, they would have to name patents. Right,
0: right. It's mutually assured destruction. That's what's kept this thing afloat for so long. I want to remind everybody: this show is brought to you, as always, by the great folks at Nerds On Site. I want to be a nerd dot com. What is Nerds On Site? Well, it's how would you describe Nerds On Site? You know, I'm having a hard time. Um,
1: as I understand it, they're a they're a federation of individual computer service guys. Who rather than operating as you know, like Joe's computer repair, and here's my card, um, they use the Nerds On Site organization as an umbrella to to organize them. I mean, they have the, the, the Nerds On Sites guys have have conferences and. It's and, really and neat. I mean, yeah. it's really really well organized. Yeah, I saw a Nerds On
0: Site uh, car in uh, Vancouver, and I thought, wow, that looks cool. I'll tell you, here's how you find out what they're up to. They're looking for nerds. To, uh, to really, I mean, the idea is you're an independent contractor, you're in business for yourself, but you're just not by yourself. So you focus on what you care about and not the burdens of running a business. They're looking for nerds with all competencies, all skills. It's not just people who will uh, fix stuff, but it's PC and Mac experts, specialties like Cisco and Oracle, website designers, programmers, project managers, even sales, trainers, of course, security experts and antivirus gurus, too. Uh, especially they like those guys who, who like, and gals who like to troubleshoot, tear apart, rebuild their own systems in their spare time. They want people who really love this stuff. If you listen to this show, you qualify. Guaranteed. They're all over the world. Canada, U.S., Mexico, England, Australia, South Africa, Bolivia, anywhere you hear this podcast pretty much. Uh, and uh, they also have a university of nerdology with over 250 subjects like systems, architecture, design, software development. Full on-source IT departments to desktop support and Soho residential IT services, so you can polish your skills, too. If you're a nerd, love working with people, find out more. Go to IWantToBeANerd.com. Register for a nerds-only meeting in your area today. IWantToBeANerd.com. Nerds on site, your chance to start your own business or to grow your business, your existing business, in ways you never imagined possible before. Nerds on site. IWantToBeANerd.com. I'm so glad we did this. It isn't exactly security, but you know so much about this subject, and uh, and I, and and it really is important, I think, for for everybody to know about this. This is something that's that's broken, and if you use software, you need to know about it and maybe stand up and say, uh, be counted. Go to Con- is Congress doing anything about this? Are they aware of this issue?
1: Well, there there actually is some some congressional motion. Also, the problem is that what we really want are are less patents fewer right. patents right. stronger patents the problem is the for example the pharmaceutical industry wants more patents right. more easy patents so there are strong lobbying pressures that are that are that are pushing congress in the direction away from what most people feel is healthy patent legislation and that's a problem yeah yeah you know my my feeling is that that Things that are originally invented, sort of, you know, they 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 have an initial value and that fades over time. Once upon a time, you know, the idea of a bitmap and and a cursor is like, whoa, my God, look at that, that's so cool. I mean, I remember looking at the first Macintosh and just moving the mouse around, and and no one had ever seen anything like that before. Right. And right. And you know, and and now it's sort of it's sort of like it sort of it it gets absorbed by the ether, yeah. you know, it just yeah. becomes, it becomes so common, such common knowledge, such common practice. I mean, now everybody has bitmaps. Everybody's got cursors. It's like you can no longer get money for that. When it was very brand new and fresh, you could get money just because you had a bitmap and a cursor. Now everybody has them. So there's no more value there. And I, and I think similarly, there were, there were original innovations in the industry that that would qualify as being special enough that the company who produced it could get money for it, and and after a while they just became the way things are done, and so so you know people who are really anti-Microsoft uh, say that you know Microsoft is beginning to turn to litigation because they've just they've run out of creativity. And so they're you know they're they're going to do what old mature companies do, is start <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. which is you know if 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 that ends up being you know a proper characterization, it's really unfortunate. Yeah, you
0: you people might say, well, this is when it all be this is when
1: it began, the beginning of the end.
0: And uh, I I wouldn't be surprised to see that. All right, we're going to uh, wrap this thing up. I do thank you so much for uh, joining us, Steve. I thank you. Uh, next week, another great Security Now. We promise. We promise. Well, well, We'll cover whatever's going on in technology and security. Um, if you uh, want to know more, of course, go to GRC.com. That's Steve's site. Shields Up's there. All the free programs he does. Spinrite, of course, is great disk recovery and maintenance utility. And 16-kilobit versions of the podcast, plus uh, transcripts, too, so you can read along as we talk. In fact, Steve's got really extensive notes for this particular episode with lots of links. So if you want to know more, this is a good one to go research at grc. Dot com. And of course, twit.tv is the home of all these podcasts if you want to support them. There's two a couple of ways you can do it. Of course, we've got great Twit merchandise from the folks at Scotty Vest and Think Geek hats and polos and fleeces. Those new polo shirts are great for summer. Uh, and you can also support us with your donations. Your recurring two dollar a month subscription really makes a big difference for us. It keeps us a uh, little baby afloat Steve does Steve doesn't need it Steve's got we've got lots of advertising on this podcast but uh, it's one of the few that does it's the donations that really keep it alive uh, twitch.tv thank you Steve thanks so
1: much Leo talk to you next week bye bye security
0: now